The meat of live is Christ. The meat to die is gain. Every moment in between, there'll be joy and there'll be pain. I can't worry about the future or change a thing about my past. I've got this moment to believe, and I'm gonna make it last. I am filled to be emptied. This is Pastor Michael Rogers from the Jar at 702 H Street Northeast in Ardmore, Oklahoma. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. Father God, we come to you now and we know that we are here to not only learn about who you are, but also, Father God, to learn how to become the disciple that you want us to be. Disciple means follower. Disciple means loving others where they are and bringing your good news to them. Father God, if there are any any words that come from Michael and I that are not from you, may it be quickly forgotten. But Father God, may your truth ring so loud and so clear yes. that no one can deny that it's your spirit. Yes, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 We were getting ready for today, and I got to thinking about what it would be like. Um, my daughter, Caitlin, is going to be graduating from college in a few weeks and we're excited that she's going to do that um yeah yeah that's really cool um but i got to thinking what would it be like you know she and i i, I feel like we were, were pretty close to each other whenever we were here and then she left and she's even cared enough to call back and let us know that we know she knows we exist and that we're still part of her life and that kind of thing but imagine if now that she's graduating she goes off and she uh, she's living states away from us so she doesn't see us and she gets involved in work and she gets involved in the things she's doing and she just kind of forgets that we're there, right? I mean, that's every parent's fear is that they get forgotten once they get to a certain place, right? right. But imagine that after a while, after she hadn't contacted us in a while, imagine if she started going, you know, I used to think that there was such a thing as a dad, but now I know that I, I just kind of evolved. I just kind of became in life just i'm just here there's no such thing as dad anymore there is just me that would be crazy when people people who were talking to her would be like no that's not how it works you have to have had a dad right uh, sadly um i feel like that's what we've been doing with god is that we had spent so much time with him as a, a, a in a, you look at the bible and you look how god was involved in the jews and was involved in, in christ coming and and all the things that happened and after a while it just, we just got to the place where maybe we would call God on the phone every once in a while, but we really wouldn't be involved with him. And then after a while, we just started thinking, maybe there isn't even such a thing as a God. Maybe we're all here on our own. That's just as crazy as if my daughter would say, there's no such thing as a dad. I got here on my own. Uh, but that's not how we live. A lot of times, a lot of us live as if man created God, but man didn't create God. God created man. The reason I say that is because we get into a situation where when we think we created God, when we think we came up with the idea of God, 
what we do is we actually give ourselves permission to be gods ourselves. And we get to decide what is right and what is true. We get to decide what is good and what is evil. We get to decide how life should go. And I'm amazed that we still do that because over and over history bears out. When we do that, we screw it up. (laughs) Every time we do it, we make a mess of things. When we start living as if we're the ones in charge, we start finding out we don't know enough to be in charge and we're not smart enough to be in charge and we're not righteous enough. We don't have enough right living in us to be in charge. And we start looking around for what we can put in charge. And sadly, when we think that man created God, we think God is one option among many. And all of a sudden we start looking for whatever we can find that might make us feel better about where we are and who we are. But at the end of the day, we really end up either worshiping men or worshiping God. We believe here at the jar that God created us. And for us to get back to what it means to really have an abundant life, to be real, to be honest, to be authentic, to have the joy that we need, we need a relationship with God first. And it will help us with all of our relationships with people. So we're not looking for God in people. We're looking for people for God. And if we are doing that, then God is showing us the right way to go. And and because of that, we believe that the, the big thing in church today has been to make disciples. And we are excited about that because that, that means followers of Jesus, right? But I think that it doesn't go far enough. I think the gospel message is not to make disciples, but to make disciple makers. Right. For people to realize that as they follow Jesus, one of the parts of following Jesus is telling other people about Jesus. And so we are, we're, we're trying to figure all of that out. Um, but in order for us to go any further in this conversation, we have to consider a question. And we do this every week. We give you a question to consider for 10 or 20 seconds on your own um, in silence. And this is the question that we have to ask ourselves if we want to learn what this looks like. And that question is, am I willing to live under God's direction? We'll give you a little time to think about that. All right, we are going to be in Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, verses 34 to 38. That is in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark. It's the second book in the New Testament. If you didn't bring your Bible, there should be Bibles underneath the table, or you can pull it up on your version app for free. But once again, we're going to be in Mark chapter 8, verses 34 through 38 today. So... Just to kind of set up what we're getting ready to read, if you go up a little bit further in chapter 8 in Mark, um, just to kind of give you an idea of what's been going on. Um, Earlier in the passage, Jesus and his disciples left Galilee and went up to the villages of uh, Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus had a conversation with what I call his guys. Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) Right? Right. His his guys. Um, And it's just them, just the disciples and Jesus. And he asks his guys, who do people say that I am? Okay. And they reply, uh, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say you're just a prophet, right? And then he asks them, who do you, who do you say that I am? Who, what do you all think? And of course, Peter, good old Peter, 
the spokesperson of the group. Jump out of the boat, Peter. <laughs> Peter says, well, you are the Messiah, right? And in that moment, Jesus says to, says to his guys, he says, don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone yet. But I am going to tell you this. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be killed. And I'm going to rise again in three days. Now, he tells his guys this. And Peter goes, Jesus. <laughs> Bro. Hold on. Okay. Hold on, buddy. Yeah. Okay. You can't talk like that. Yeah. People are going to think you're crazy, right? And Jesus doesn't respond too great to that. We get salty. We, we get salty, Jesus. In yeah. that moment, we love salty replies, Jesus. Get behind me, Satan. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Get behind me, Satan. You are seeing things, and he says to Peter, "You are seeing things from a human point of view, which is that earthly perspective, right? A human point of view, and not God's perspective, which is a heavenly perspective." So, just real quick, if you're if you want to get a sense of that, the Book of John is all about this. People want to look at Jesus from an earthly perspective, but Jesus keeps trying to get them to see him from a heavenly perspective. So if you read through the book of John and you keep this uh, part in mind, you will understand John better, what he's trying to accomplish. That's right. So that kind of sets the context of what we're getting ready to go into in verse 34. Then if you're there, say amen. amen. Awesome. So in verse 34, it says, then, comma, right? So he's been with his guys by themselves. They've had this conversation. And then Jesus calls the crowd to join his disciples. Right? So there is a crowd that has gathered. And he says, if any of you wants to be my follower, and that word follower there means come after me, uh -huh. you must give up your own way. In other words, don't regard yourself first. Right? You must give up your own way Take up your cross and follow me. Mm -hmm. Now, when Mark wrote this, the original audience for this were the Romans. So when he says take up the cross, the Roman people, they're going to get that. Mm -hmm. It is an example that they are going to understand. Okay? Um, prisoners would carry their own heavy wooden crosses to the execution site, which could be miles, right? We know this from the crucifixion of Jesus. But that carrying of the cross, whether it just be the cross beam or the whole thing, it represented more than just punishment. It represented that they were under the Romans' yes. thumb, right? Yes. Right? You are a prisoner. You have done wrong. We are going to punish you for this. Okay? And so I kind of looked it up because I, I was just curious um, how much the cross actually generally would weigh for people. Um, the whole cross, if they had to carry the whole thing, weighed close to 300 pounds. Now, I don't know about you all, but I don't even think I could stand up. I couldn't stand up for 300 pounds. I couldn't stand for, for 50 pounds, let alone 300 pounds, okay? And then the crossbar, which is what a lot of people believe Jesus just carried the crossbar, but we really don't know. I mean, but the crossbar itself that goes across actually weighed between 100 to 170 pounds, depending on the size and the girth of the wood that was used, okay? So... I keep keep in mind too. Most yeah. of the time, whenever a criminal was asked to carry his cross, he was beaten first. 
And this is especially true for Christ, right? He received the 40, uh, the 40 lashes minus mm -hmm. one, and it probably laid open his back. And yeah. then they put this rough timbered crossbar on him. Mm -hmm. That was at least 100 pounds. And said, "Carry this while you're bleeding, while you're, you know, struggling with this. Carry this. Um, that that was what was done to Jesus. But it was not uncommon for them to be beaten and and mistreated before they had to carry their cross. So imagine that. And that's the image that Jesus is using to become a disciple. Right. And I mean, the Romans they." They knew how to punish people, yeah, that is for sure, and how to torture people. But yeah. but that's just an example. And, and so he's using this image of carrying the cross to illustrate the ultimate um, submission as a follower. Now, obviously us following Jesus is not, um, when we come to Christ, we are not under his thumb. Right. Right? When we use the word submission here, we're talking about something that is voluntarily given. That's right. Right? And so when Jesus is talking about pick up your cross, take up your cross and follow me, what he's saying is about the heroic strength that it takes to be able to carry that 100 to 300 pound cross. Right? The heroics that it takes, the strength that it takes. And the fact that when we follow him as a Jesus follower, moment as a disciple of Jesus, moment by moment to do his will, even when the work gets hard, right? even when there's no immediate reward in sight, right? Because sometimes some people believe, oh, the moment we give our life to Jesus, everything's going to get rosy and, and good, right? And God never promised us that we wouldn't go through life. Life just isn't good sometimes. Right? Sometimes it's awesome. And sometimes it's not so great. And so what Jesus is saying is when you become my disciple, when you follow me and follow in my ways, know that it takes heroic strength to be able to do that. It takes courage. So as a Christian, when somebody asks you, what are you, what, what, what are you, and you say, I'm a Christian, don't take that lightly. I think we flippantly say that, oh, I'm a Christian or I'm a believer or whatever, right? But what Jesus is saying here is, oh, no, no, my child. Being my follower is so much more than that. It is so awesome and it is so heroic and it is amazing, right? Now, listen to who he's talking to. He talks to his disciples and he calls the crowd. The disciples have already decided to follow Jesus. The crowd has not yet decided whether or not to follow Jesus. And he says, look, if any of you are ready and willing, if any of you desire to follow me, then you need to stop thinking about giving regard to yourself first. You need to start thinking of others first. And the first thing that you do is you voluntarily take up your cross. Now, I, there are people in this world who think being a Christian is the easy way out. It is not. Now, I don't want to scare you. I don't want you to think, oh, my goodness, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. <laughs> right. Right. But what we want you to understand is that we probably don't have the power to do this on our own. But if you are trying to live without God, that's exactly what you're doing. You know, understand, you're trying to take this heroic strength and trying to build a life on your own. You are taking up your own cross you're, for your own 
salvation, doing your own thing, and you are suddenly putting yourself in a position where it's too heavy and you may not make it to the hill to die on. Because death is coming for us all. When Jesus talks about taking up the cross, though, we know, because we've read the end of the story, that the power does not come from us. As a matter of fact, 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and love and self-discipline. Amen. Amen. What that means for us is that the, the spirit is now inside of us working those things out. So that heroic strength, God says, you're going to need heroic strength to do this. By the way, I'm the heroic strength. You're going to need me to follow me. I'm so glad God created us and that we didn't create him. Because if we created him, we would have to try this on our own power. And listen to me, believer, you may have been living this way without realizing it and thinking that it was all your power that you had to use and that every time you made a mistake, you let God down and he must be angry. And you have built this God in your mind that says, God's angry with me all the time because I can never get it right. That's you creating a God after your own image. The God of the universe is the one who sent his son to die for you so that you didn't have to build that uh, life for by yourself, so that you could have the power to do the things that God's calling you to do, so that you could live a right living life, so that others would see the light that's in you and want some of that themselves. Right, right. So let's look at verse 35. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it, right? Mm -hmm. So Jesus isn't saying, I want you, he's not teaching self-denial here, right? He's not saying, you know, like I said, you're not under his thumb, right? right? He's not teaching that. What he's saying is give up things like selfishness and cruelty, right? And hatred and indifference. Looking out for number one. Right. Um, climbing the ladder no matter who you have to step on. Mm -hmm. um, that kind of thing. Uh, as a matter of fact, following Jesus requires submission, not self-hatred. Mm -hmm. I don't have to hate myself. As a matter of fact, I'm told to love my neighbor as myself. So I'm, I'm supposed to love myself. But the way that I can do that is by recognizing that it's God who's made me lovable. Right? And so I, I don't have to, I can submit to him without hating myself. It doesn't mean that I always, I always have to do without. But what it does mean is I am willing to do without if someone else can have it. Okay? That's submission, not self-hatred. Right. So then let's look at verse 36. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Right, because we know this body is just temporary. Mm -hmm. This is just the car, right, that we our soul is driving in. <laughs> <laughs> and good. I don't know about y'all, but some of us like our car better than others. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Some but, of us have older models. But we, yeah. yeah. Uh, some of us have need fine-tuning on those cars. Yes. But our soul is really what God's looking at, right? That's what matters the most. And so... You know, many people will spend all of their energy seeking possessions or position or power, all of those earthly things, right? Mm -hmm. And what does Jesus say all through the scriptures? He says, stop looking at earthly things 
and start looking at heavenly things, spiritual perspective. Your spirit and your soul is what matters the most. You can have everything you want satisfying-wise on this planet, but you're still going to have hollow and emptiness if you don't have the right heart and the right spirit, right? And if your mind is messing with all of those things. So that is what he's telling us. What, what does it matter if you gain everything and lose your soul in the process, right? So it's better to submit like this guy. <laughs> I think we're ready for your illustration. Almost every dog does it. At the first hint of a potential belly rub, they immediately roll over, splay their legs, and wait for the incoming pats of perfection leading to belly blissfulness. But what is really happening here? Do all dogs universally love belly rubs? Is this purely about gratification or is it something else going on here? Dog behaviorist and trainer Adam Famey, hope I said that right, explains that at its core, the posture is actually not so much an invitation to affection, but rather an act of submission. He says, us humans often see this as an invitation to stroke a dog's belly as if the dog is asking us by assuming this position. But actually, he explains, the behavior of rolling over and exposing their belly often starts from submission, as this stance is a submissive position in dog body language. Now, that doesn't mean dogs don't love a good belly rub. I mean, who doesn't, right? He goes on to say, yet what starts as an act of submission by the dog results in the reception of affection, affirmation, comfort, and consultation. Thus, the response becomes both an act of submission and, here's the thing, a learned response and a reflex, reflexive action in anticipation of the comfort, affection, and pleasure to come. So what is our, what's our baby up there on the street saying to us? right? What's he saying? Dogs are man's best friends on so many levels. We can learn so much from them. We can even learn what our relationship with our Heavenly Father should look like. God's desire is to reach down and touch us, to love on us, to affirm us, to comfort, and to console us. But before we can rightly receive any of those blessings, we must first posture ourselves into a position of submission. Come on, God, rub my belly. <laughs> now, now listen, this is beautiful because that means that when the, the first time the dog does that to you, the dog is submitting. But when he submits, he gets comfort and affection. So the second time he's going, I'm going to submit again because I want that comfort and affection. God is the same way. The first time that we submit to him is when we say, I am going to stop trying to figure this out myself. I believe that Jesus lived a perfect life and died to say it, satisfy the debt for my sins. Amen. And I'm going to submit to, my, to him by saying, I believe in you, Jesus. I'm going to follow you from now on. I'm going to take up my cross for others so that I can be yours. And he goes, good boy. That's a good boy. That's a good boy. <laughs> And you go, oh, that felt good. I'm going to submit to him again. God, I give you my finances. Oh, that's such a good boy. Good job, good boy. Okay, then I'm going to give you my marriage too. And I'm going to give you my friendships. And I'm going to give you, I'm gonna give you everything, God. Because I love, yes. the, I love the sense that I get of how much you love me as you bless me in those things. Does that make sense? Right. And the more we do it, 
yeah. the more the we more immediately he, react. And the more he blesses. Oh, my goodness. Yes. I got goosebumps talking about it. the more belly rubs he get. Yes. Right? Yes. And, uh, and who, get, can't, who, yeah. who can get a belly rub without a smile? You got to <laughs> smile. Right? <laughs> Amen. So our B for today is be ready and willing. Be ready and willing. Romans 1 or Romans 1 uh, verses 16 through 17 says, For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right. Right? We talked last week about what righteousness means. Mm -hmm. That churchy word righteousness means right living. Mm -hmm. Okay? How God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scripture says, says, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. And (laughs) I want my daddy, my Abba, my God, I want him, I want him to see me right in his sight. I want him to be proud of me. I want him to say that's my that's my girl yeah right yeah and so so the more that i pick up my cross and i follow him out of heroic steps regard others before myself put my selfishness and everything aside right pick up that cross follow him in that heroic way and then i roll over and say yes lord do it what you want the blessings that come are just beyond comprehension. I, I have done. a friend who, who used to say to me all the time, you know, if we spent enough time doing all the do's in the word, we wouldn't have any time for the thou shalt nots. That if we are living in such a way that we are, are um, honoring God with everything that we do, there just won't be time enough to do the thou shalt nots. And I, so that, that's part of what we're saying. Listen, that means that we have to follow, following Jesus means letting him control your destiny. That's, that's scary unless he's good. Uh, I, I can't remember the theologian who said this recently, but he said, you know, it is not a stretch to believe there is a God. That, there are a lot of people out there who believe there is a God. The stretch is to believe that God is good. If God is good and we can trust him, then why wouldn't we want to live the life that he's calling us to live? Why wouldn't we want to do things his way? And that's what right living gets us is that relationship with him where we start hearing his voice. We start recognizing him when he speaks and that we just can't help it. We start doing the things that God has called us to do because they are what is natural to us. It's supernatural when we start. It becomes natural when it's who we are. And that's why we say be willing, be ready and willing. Um, and then the last piece is that following Jesus means telling others about him. That last verse there, verse 38 says, if anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days. Now, what, what is sin? Missing the mark. Sin is missing the mark. So if I am trying to live for God and I'm not quite living for him all the time, I find myself missing the mark. That might be as simple as an addiction or as simple as a lie. But I'm missing the mark. And he says, anyone, 
uh, is ashamed of me during this time, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Now that's salty Jesus. What he's saying in the negative, I can say in the positive. If you honor me, I will honor you. It's that simple. And you know, the best dads brought us up that way. Honor me and I will honor you. And I don't know who your dad was, and I don't know if you had a dad who did that. I don't know if you had a dad who was worthy of that. Um, but your heavenly father is not your dad, even if he was a good dad. He's better than that. And so we can trust him. He is a good God. And so what we want to do over the next, really, all the rest of this year is introduce you to a way for you to be able to put yourself in a position to say, um, am I doing everything I can to be to follow God this way? Am I, am, I, am I doing everything I can to take up my cross, to deny myself, and to follow him? And we broke that down to six questions, okay? So we're going to introduce the questions today, and then we're going to talk about them for the next few months, and we're going to really delve into what it means, okay? And, and we're going to use a couple of words that might seem a little, little uh, like 50-cent words. That's okay. We'll explain them with five-cent words, and then at the end, you'll understand why we use those words, okay? So, God is the great I am, right? So, we think our questions should be, am I? God is an I am. That's a statement. I have to ask the question, though, because I'm not God. And so, I always have to ask, am I doing this like God? Am I, am I, if, am I being like Jesus in this? So, you want the first one? So the first one is, am I fervently pursuing my faith? So fervently is a fancy word, mm-hmm. right? For being passionate. Am I going after? Am I, am I so sold out in my faith um, and what that means for me? So next week, we're going to start with that one. Am I fervently pursuing my faith? And what does that word faith mean? That, okay. that means we're going to talk about prayer. We're going to talk about fasting. We're going to talk about feeding ourselves. And that's, that's, the, that's a start for us. But we don't want you to think that when we get done with that, we're just finished with it. Because as we do the next one, we may be coming back to that every once in a while and reminding you. Mm-hmm. So am I fervently pursuing my faith? The second one is, am I invested completely? We believe that a disciple of Jesus is engaged, gives, grows, and shares. What does it mean to be engaged? Well, I'm not trying to do it all on my own. I realize that I need help, not just from God, but from other people who believe the same thing I do. So how do I stay engaged in my faith? And then how do I give? How do I give of my time and my talents and my resources? And then how do I grow? What, what is it that I do to put myself in a position to be able to understand better the character of God so that I can be more like him? And then how do I share? What does it look like for me to tell others about Jesus? So am I fervently pursuing my faith? Am I invested completely? And then? Am I learning how I am uniquely shaped? So God made all of our jars Differently. Yes. Different shapes, different sizes, different colors, different makes and models. We are all different vessels for him. And so we're going to be talking about what are my gifts? What are the gifts that God has given me? Mm -hmm. Spiritual gifts. 
Yeah. Right? Yeah. What are the things that I, when I'm a part of the jar, when I'm a part of solid rock, right? What am I, what are my gifts and what, how am I uniquely shaped and how is God going to use me in that? That's right. And what are my passions? What am I passionate about? You know, there are some of you. I've talked to several people in the last couple of weeks who are passionate about helping the homeless. They're passionate about it, but they have no way to, to, to process. What do I even do to make something happen like that? Okay, well, that's what the church is for. Let's get together and have a conversation. How can we start serving the homeless? Mm -hmm. Something important for us to say. So learning our unique shape is not just about our spiritual gifts. It's also about our talents and our passions and, and, and our experience and our education, the things that we've learned that put us in this place. Because I promise you this, God was involved in all of that. You are not here by accident. Nope. And everything that you've been through was either organized by him or watched over by him. Even if it was the worst thing you've ever been through, he was still there and he's thinking, how can I use this in my son or in my daughter to reach others for me? And I, I can attest to that in one way. I'm a recovered alcoholic who has been freed and healed from alcohol. I can say that today. But I wasn't always. It took 30 years for God to free me and heal me completely of it. And in that 30 years, he taught me how to minister to other people who have addictions. And all of that time has been redeemed for me by the number of people that I get to talk to who have struggled with addiction themselves. Right. He's going to use everything about you so it's good for you to know how you're uniquely, uniquely shaped. Then the next one is, how am I loving the one in front of me? You've heard the concept, love your neighbor as yourself. It always says this, love Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. The Greek literally means love the one in front of you. So how do I get to the place, no matter who I'm talking to, I'm loving that person? Well, I need to understand what love is in order for me to be able to do that. And love gets thrown, away, thrown around so crazy. I love pizza. I love my daughter. I love my wife. I love my church. Those are all different. If I'm, in, if I'm talking to another English person, they understand that all of those things mean something a little different. But if I'm talking to somebody who doesn't know the language, they'll be like, hey, wait a minute. You put your, the pizza and your wife on the same level? Like, what's going on, right? We need to understand what godly love is in order for us to love the one in front of us correctly. So that's the, and then, so fervently in pursuing my faith, invested completely, learning how I'm uniquely shaped, loving the one in front of me, and then expecting God to move in real life. So our mission statement mm -hmm. is connecting real life with our extraordinary God. That's right. So like I said earlier, life can be awesome, but life can be tough. Right? How then we do we share that? How do we include God in all of it, mm -hmm. bad or good? Right? And let me, share, let me tell you something, God, we chose extraordinary on purpose. Yes, yes. We've seen God heal cancer. Yes. We've seen heal, God heal an addicts. Yes. We've seen God heal families in our, in our years of ministry together. He's an extraordinary God. He can go and do and beyond what we can comprehend. And how do we take that extraordinary and put it into real life? So we're going to talk about that, expecting mm -hmm. God to move in real life. Yeah. And, and then the last one is, am I discipling someone? Now, this is a scary thing because 
when we think of discipling someone, we think of, of doing what Carrie and I are doing right now and teaching someone this deep understanding of uh, what it means to follow God and what the Bible says and what the Holy Spirit's doing and all of those kinds of things. But discipling someone is much easier than that. In Jesus' time, uh, the people who followed a rabbi were called the Talmudim. And the Talmudim, their intention was not to come and go to classes with the rabbi and learn the things the rabbi had learned. No, they spent every waking moment with him. They wanted to know when he got up to pray and what he prayed about. They wanted to know when he went to bed and, and what he prayed about before he went to bed. They want to know how many hours he got sleep each night. They want to know how he studied. They want to know what he would do. How does he handle a crisis? What does he do when someone's angry with him? And they would just be with him all the time so they could look like him, think like him, act like him, speak like him, smell like him if they could. And that's what it means to be a disciple. Well, what that means then is if we're discipling someone, all we have to do is be living our life for Christ in such a way that people know that's what we're doing. In other words, I can't just be a good person and when people say, thanks for doing that, just say, oh, shucks, that's okay. I, I, you know, I'm just trying to be a nice person. We say, no, no, we say, thank you for the encouragement, but we give God the praise. It is our privilege to help you, but it's God's power that's does, that does it in us. And let them know that it's God working in us that causes us to do these things. And that will become discipling others. Now, there are other ways to disciple, and, and, and as you grow in it, you will become more likely to do that. So there will be times when you're studying the Bible with someone. There will be times when you're praying with someone. There will be times when you're, you're, you're intentionally spending time with them to grow them in a certain area of their lives. But you don't have to start there. You can start with what you know right now, because I promise whatever you know right now it's enough. is enough because somebody knows less than you. So if you've been paying attention and you look at all of the capital letters at the beginning, am I filled to be emptied? We believe these six questions will help you stay on track and let you know what to work on next. What is it that I need to work on to become a better disciple of Jesus Christ? Because my job isn't just to be a disciple, it's to be a disciple maker. And so if I am constantly allowing myself to be filled in this way, I also, and that's why the last one is about going, is about putting it out there. If I'm doing all of the first ones, I'm just a filet. I have to add the D to be filled. And that D is all about emptying for others. And that's, that's our hope for you. That's our desire for you. That's what we believe God is doing yes. in your world. And normally we have a reflection for the alreadys and for the not yets. And we, we just want you to know that um, that reflection time is meant to be a time for you to spend time with God. Some of you need to take communion to do that. So we offer communion. We have a song playing because some of you uh, can spend that time with God because of the song. Some of you can pray on your own and really have that time with God. Some of you need someone to pray with you, and we're going to be back in the back here uh, to pray. But it is not a time for a break. It is a time for reflection on what you learned and what it means for you and where you might go forward.